Hello there, and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my music career roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Music Career Show. Okay, hello there everybody and welcome back to the Music Career Show. So today I'm really excited about um, the guest that I've got on for you. Uh, I really think an awful lot of you out there are going to get some excellent value out of what she has to say. She is a solo artist first and foremost with over 25 million streams on Spotify. She has a PhD in Sonic Arts, which I'm buzzing to hear about. And she's also the host of the Girls Twiddling Knobs podcast. Her overall mission statement is to promote and support women in their creative endeavors by teaching them how to record, produce, and manage their own music through her online courses and communities. So this is Isabel Anderson, aka the female DIY musician. Hello, Isabel. Hello. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and thanks very much for for coming on. So, um, Isabel, to get uh, to get the ball rolling for people that maybe aren't um, familiar with you, um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do? Yeah, so I think you did a really good job, Barry. I'm just thinking, is there anything else that I'd add? Um, I guess all the stuff that I do now is through the female DIY musician. So the podcast Girls Twilling Knobs is part of that. The female DIY musician is a online resource that has the podcast. It also has an online community with over. Uh, 1,600 people in it. Um, That's a free community. It also has an online course attached, which is called Home Recording Academy, which is um, specifically designed for women in music to address some of the challenges and some of the blocks that a lot of women can have regarding music technology. Um, So that has over 400 students that have enrolled in that so far. Um, And then I also do kind of one-off workshops and trainings and I'm I'm next year I'm going to actually going to be launching a new course which is all about field recording which ties into my background in sonic art so I guess that's kind of um just to give people a little bit more detail of what I do now basically fantastic that all sounds um brilliant I'm, I'm going to get stuck into every single one of those points that you brought up but let's go back to the very very start so where did music start for you it started um for me I guess really at school I was lucky that where I went to school, um, they happened to kind of value the arts a lot. Mm. Um, and I guess it was it was also quite a different time. I don't know whether it, they'd be able to do this now because I know the education system's changed quite a lot. But even though it was a state school, they had a lot of, they put a lot of energy and even money 
into supporting kids learning instruments and oh, you know um they had a massive musical they did every year where they just pulled out all the stops so i was really lucky from that point of view um i also remember my granddad he had loads and loads of cd's of blues and jazz basically so i remember when i was sort of bored on a sunday afternoon i just go through all his cd collection and put things on and so I, I was sort of, I guess I was listening to things like Johnny Hooker from the age of about nine, just oh, because I was, you know, rummaging through his CDs. And yeah. so I, I guess those would be my two kind of really earliest, um, f- what's the word, formational um, experiences with music. That's a really good way of putting it, formational experiences. <laughs> I love that. Um, and so when did like the likes of instruments and stuff come into, into play? It was definitely, so what happened was, I remember I really wanted to be a visual artist when I was young, like young, young. All right. Um, I just liked art. I really liked, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, I really want to be an artist. And then I kept, I, I kind of realized when I was from about the age of 10 that I was actually good at singing and better at singing than I was at art. Fair and enough. so that kind of started this whole thing of me doing music. And then I learned the guitar and I learned the clarinet. Um, cool. and, and like I was saying, I was lucky that my school, they, they had a clarinet teacher that came in once a week so I could learn clarinet for free. Um, and, um, I think there was a scheme as well to, to buy instruments. Um, so I was able to, to get a clarinet. Um, and so, yeah, I did that. And, uh, so eventually kind of, but basically voice was my main instrument that I, you know, most kind of vibed with and was yeah. the most natural to me. But I also played guitar and clarinet too. Oh, brilliant. And did you ever like do any sort of formal lessons, like grades or anything along those lines in the singing or in the guitar or clarinet? Not in the singing, not in the guitar. I did grade five in the clarinet and I did grade five in music theory as well. All oh, right. Fair play to you. Well, you, yeah. you got two grades on, on top of me. I've never done any <laughs> sort of qualification. I, I never had that sort of... Um, head about me it, it was like pulling teeth honestly so I'm yeah. I'm dyslexic and I definitely think there's a big crossover in how that affects how I read music and how I process music theory um I basically it re- I really struggle with it so I've always oh. learned through ear always learned with yeah. ear. even if my teachers have thought that I'm not because I'm good at fooling them I've always been learning through ear so doing wow. my grade five music theory was like pulling teeth it was horrendous and well, I'm fair so play. glad fair play to you for actually <laughs> yeah well fair play to you for actually getting it um music theory was yeah. one of those things that took me the best part of 20 years to actually get my head around um like it, it just it, required a slight shift in your in your your mindset and the way that you think about it but um yeah it's, it's yeah but I think that I think there's a really um unhelpful hierarchy attached to it I think actually being able to learn by ear is amazing and shows oh, yeah. an incredible intelligence and an incredible gift and I think it's not valued enough so um yeah so I kind of feel like it, it is good to have but it's also really good to have a good ear <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I'd, I put it this way: I have never gotten anywhere with music theory. It's handy for me now because I'm a music teacher. I teach all yeah. sorts of different instruments, and it's 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 useful to be able to relate that back and um, have a little an extra thing that you can teach. I suppose is probably mm. the the most use it's ever been. But when it comes to gigging on a Saturday Saturday night. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't care what key the song is in or anything like that. Yeah. As long as me and, and the other lad in the band know exactly what we're doing and if we can play off each other by ear, that is the the most important thing. 
Yeah. So um, so then I suppose the the kind of the the the, the natural progression from learning to sing, learning how to play, and doing all your your well your 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 grades and in, in the other things, um, learning to record yourself and the audio engineering. How did you get into that? Well, that started because I did a music degree, and there was a there was a module on it that was actually sonic arts. So I I went I purposely went to do a music degree that was a little bit more experimental, and so um, in the second year of this degree, we got to kind of we well, we started with field recordings. We started with taking a little recorder out and recording things around us, and then we got the opportunity to bring that into the studio that was at this college. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was very much gate. There was a very grumpy gatekeeping engineer, as there often is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and we were able to kind of, um, yeah, just play around with Pro Tools basically with these little field recordings that I'd done, and um, and so I, I recorded my first song that way. Um, oh. I had I had gone and recorded before with bands and things like that, like had somebody record us, but. So my first song was was recorded myself, um, and and that kind of yeah that gave me a real interest in just the the process of making in the studio, and yeah. I think that I'd always been really interested in how records are sculpted, not just how songs are crafted. I've always been really interested in that too, but I've yeah. I've always kind of been. I was always intrigued by how you actually then shape a record as opposed to just crafting the song and um and so it really started with that and so I because of having dyslexia I was given a free computer which I think they still do that but they just started doing that when I was doing my degree oh brilliant um and that meant that I could then just uh, I had some money to buy some audio equipment I didn't have to spend it on a computer so I got pro tools and so I just started kind of teaching myself on that and I think that um that's something that's quite interesting is I think sometimes people think that if you've done a music degree or if you've done a PhD in sonic art, somebody's shown you everything. Like you actually learn everything there is yeah. to know about recording or something. And not at all. I've had very little actual tuition and how do you use a DAW or how do you, you know, what even is a signal chain, for example. So yeah. It, that's how it really started was just doing one module in my degree and then just continuing to dabble with it at home really so then you went on and you done your um phd in sonic arts now i have never heard the term sonic arts and i think it's absolutely fantastic and i'm going to say it from <laughs> now on that i'm not a musician i am a purveyor of the sonic arts i love that but um <laughs> what, what first of all what constitutes sonic arts that might be a really stupid and obvious question but you know yourself okay yeah well do you you want me to backtrack to how i got to that point please do yeah okay that was that was kind of where i was getting where you're far better at this than i am no don't don't worry no i'm just thinking that just yeah so basically after my degree i then lived in london for three years which i hated no offense to anyone that loves london but I I ended up there because of some, you know, different circumstantial stuff. And it's really expensive. It's really mm. busy. I was working full time and commuting two hours a day and still wasn't even making enough money to really pay my rent and, yes. and was gigging every week and it wasn't going anywhere. And I was really, really disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I really felt that thing that I think a lot of musicians feel of like, wow, you know, 
is this never going to happen? Is was was this whole idea that you could even? Not, it's not that I ever wanted to be really famous. I just wanted to make music and creativity my career. Yeah, you know, um, that's it. And yeah. um, and it just felt like that was totally impossible. So, I a, a kind of acquaintance of mine um, kindly sent me a link to this to Queen's University Belfast oh, yeah. because they had scholarships to go and study sonic arts for in their MA. Right. And um and by this point I was I was really miserable like in all in all honesty I'm sure there'll yeah. be some people listening here who understand where I'm coming from here but like there's one of them Okay yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I I had insomnia you know I was really I couldn't sleep hardly any night because I just felt so deep inside that I was wasting my life you know yep. I just felt like yep. I was made to do music and it and I was in this really expensive, not very friendly city that is amazing in lots of ways, but it just wasn't for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that I hadn't really made any friends. <laughs> like, that sounds so pathetic, oh. but I had friends, but I hadn't made any new music friends. Yeah, You know, like I'd been there for three years and I never bumped into anyone because it's so big. So even yeah. though I was gigging and gigging and gigging, I'd never like bump into the same person at a gig, which is oh. bonkers. Yeah, that you know? is mad. But it's that big. It, the music scene is that big. So course, anyway, yeah. I ended up applying for this scholarship for an MA at Belfast. Um, just cut a long story short, I got it and I left and I did that. And the the difference was like night and day. You know, suddenly right. I was in a city where you could walk everywhere. So if you were yeah. at a pub and somebody said, oh, I'm having a party, do you want to come? You'd be like, yeah, sure. It's a 20 minute walk away. Great. Um, you know, rather than, oh, well, the last tube goes in 10 minutes. And then after that, I'll have to get a two hour night bus home by myself. So uh, the difference was immense. So immediately I just started making a lot more friends. The music scene was incredibly friendly and open and people basically like going out of their way to help you. Um, Brilliant. Just such a different kind of culture there. Um, it was also a really amazing time in Belfast because, it was this is 2010 that I showed up, okay. and they it was you know the time where Belfast was really starting to kind of grow and become yeah. yeah and become a place of real hope and mm-hmm. you know where people were just so excited that it could be something different than what it had been. Brilliant. Um, yeah. And and that was lovely. And then also I I did this MA, so I was there to do something which was very interesting as well. Yeah. Um, so that brings me on to what is Sonic Arts. So Sonic Arts is um, the study of sound as an aesthetic. Let's put it like that. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so That's that could be. Yeah. <laughs> so that could be anything from um, ha- literally the physics of how do you synthesize sound. You know, you ha- you, everyone will probably be familiar with synthesizers yeah, as an yeah, instrument. Yeah. What's the technology and the maths and the physics behind that that actually makes that possible? So that's a part of, you know, sonic arts. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, it could also be simply designing interesting sounding environments for games. Or it oh. could be designing experimental sound installations in an art gallery context. Or right. it could literally be just composing with interesting sounds like field recordings. So I specialised in field recording and I specialised in experimental voice um, and I specialised in as well um, electroacoustic composition, which is basically composing with 
sound in experimental ways in the studio yeah so so i i did the ma and that was and and you know coming back to a little bit similar to the music theory it was incredibly hard at the beginning because it was extreme maths and physics i mean extreme yeah. like uh, so just to illustrate that I, the very first lesson i had which was all about coding using a piece of software called max msp so using software to create sound and create algorithms that would change sound and all that kind of stuff uh-huh. um and the way that when I first arrived, the the tutor put down an algebra formula in front of me with one paragraph that basically said to, that, to the effect of, use this algebra formula to make a reverb algorithm in Max MSP. And I, I knew as much as probably you do right now, Barry, about how right. you do that. <laughs> okay. And I just sat down, I was like, what? It was like stepping into another reality. You know, it's yeah. that abstract, it's that bonkers. So... Um, I just about scraped through that first semester of having to learn coding and algebra and um, all that kind of stuff. And then, but we're also doing really interesting things like, I mean, that is interesting, obviously, but I found it really hard. Yeah, yeah. But we did stuff that I found a little bit more kind of accessible, which was to do with psychoacoustics, so how our brain perceives sound, um, and also spatial audio. So how do you spatialize sound? How do you use certain techniques to spatialize it? Yeah. and then um, I, I kind of realised I, I really love this. I definitely don't want to go back to working in an office in London and commuting two hours a day, yeah. clearly. Um, and they had PhD scholarships. So I thought I'll apply for a PhD scholarship and cut a long story short, I got that. So um, so then I kind of, um, yeah, obviously embarked on a much bigger project at that department and i should say that department's called the sonic arts research center at queen's university belfast so it's a whole lab that is specifically made it's a whole building basically that has an incredible sonic lab it has 48 speakers in it a great as a floor so that they have speakers underneath so you can compose audio for 360 and you can do very cool stuff there um so i then i've basically in total spent on and off about six years in that lab um just learning and cr- composing and you know developing my my sonic arts practice I guess um and but what also happened during that time was because I then was learning more about sound and audio and recording and I had yeah. access to these studios with some amazing equipment yeah. um no kind of uh of, it was very much still figure it out by yourself you know I could book yeah. a studio I'd go in there um but that would be it. You'd then have to kind of figure out yourself. Um, but I ended up recording um, my album, my first album, and, and and then self-releasing it the year of my MA, and then recorded my second album during my PhD. And and that's how I kind of started self-recording and self-releasing as well. Amazing. Um, and that was when I realised, oh, right, okay, you really need to release music and... Uh, and and I could have waited a long time for someone to come along and sign me to a record deal and give me that opportunity. And I kind of, because I'd just given up on that and just thought, yeah. well, F it, I'll just do it. I'll just make an album then. Yeah. But that then started something that I never would have imagined, uh, the, a kind of career I never would have imagined, basically. So how did you go about actually releasing your music? Because I know that nowadays it's like, I, would, I had someone on the podcast recently and they were saying that it, nowadays 
it's as simple as you just take your laptop to somewhere that has Wi-Fi and you sit down for a, for an hour, have a coffee, and your album is pretty much released on Spotify and Apple and all these other places. But I can't imagine back 10 years ago that it was as simple as that, was it? I mean, it, it was in a way, yeah. It was, oh, was in a way. It? And yeah, I mean, so yeah, 2010, Spotify had just, I think Spotify came on the scene like the year before that. Um oh, I just I uploaded it all through a company called Rootnote, which was a digital distribution company. Oh, um, yeah, all, all oh, of that existed. Yeah, all of yeah. that existed, but only just. So I was only very just. kind of early on, you know, early to this. Um, and I made I handmade a hundred CDs for my first release, and I booked a venue in Belfast and just did a kind of very low key album launch, basically. Um, and I think one of the good things about the way that that unfolded for me was I didn't have a lot of pressure on it at all. And yeah. part of it was because people weren't really doing that at that point. You know, it was, it was quite, it's still very new that people were self-releasing unashamedly yeah. and making it something that was like a choice rather than um, something they'd had to kind of do because nobody thought they were good enough. Yeah. Um, so I think that, it was that that idea was still very new um but I think that again I think it was really good that I did it somewhere like Belfast because people were very supportive and got behind it and you know the um BBC Ulster played it and had me come on and talk about it I think that would have been really hard again in London you know it's just really oversaturated um and I think that um without wanting to kind of I think I think this is something that's changed an awful lot in Belfast now. But when I first came over there, I I was one of about f- five women who wrote and fronted their own music. Right. It was really it was I I remember thinking, wow, I really feel like I stick out here because I'm very much in charge of this. I'm writing my own material yeah. and performing it under my name or under a band that I head, you know? Um, And I I really could literally only name a few other people on one hand. Mm. So I think there was that as well. And like I said, that's changed massively now, which is great. Um, But it was, yeah, it was interesting in that way. It was quite different to where I'd been before. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. And I I've been gigging myself for what, 15 years now at this stage. And I about 10 years ago was living in Salou and gigging there and stuff like that. And everyone was, all all the musicians were lads. Every single one of the musicians were lads, apart from the fiddle players. There was two fiddle players in the two two years that I was there. One called Sarah the first year, one called Danielle the second year. And they just played with everyone in in all the, the different Yeah, pubs. Yeah, they'll, Whereas, they'll be in all the bands. Yeah, And they were in all the bands. Yeah, exactly. Whichever, yeah. whichever was the busiest pub that night, She'd play with with the band that night, yeah. and, that, and that was, and that was just it. Um, but since then, the past ten years, and even at home where I'm from, um, in in um, in the Republic of Ireland, um, same thing. No female. Not that there was no female musicians, but they were always the extra, the kind of yeah. the, the, the yeah. sort of add on. They were never the main event. Like myself and the boys were the the main event. You came to see. Barry and Kevin playing. I was like, oh, grand, there's Barry and Kevin. Oh, they've got a fiddle player with her now. Oh, she's nice. Great. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. whereas nowadays, um, now in Aberdeen, 
I'm part of a, a musician's a group chat on Facebook and there is as many women gigging and doing five, six gigs a week as there is lads. And um, I've, I've never really thought about it until just now that that, because it is so commonplace now, mm. but it wasn't. It, it, it's only in the past few years that that is as commonplace um, as it is. Which kind of brings yeah. me on to my, ne- my, uh, my next point. Why did you choose to go down the, the female promotion um, line of things? So, well, I guess like, again, yes, for some for some prior context. So I started to notice that it was even, I, I started to notice, to put it bluntly, right? Right. I, I was having to do you know 10 times as well as my male counterparts to be taken seriously mm-hmm. but it wasn't until my music had 10 million spotify streams that anyone ever approached me about managing me it oh. was just bonkers it just felt like people uh just didn't uh, didn't know how to work with a woman or a woman who was really clear about their ideas that was intelligent that was articulate that was you know had their head screwed on and um it felt like it was like finding a needle in a haystack an industry person who would see someone like me and go I want to work with them yeah you know so that that just kept coming up for me it kept feeling like if I wasn't this amenable very kind of um like girl in the band type or if I wasn't this hypersexualized front woman yeah. Or if I wasn't this um, kind of like virgin-esque, um, very sort of shy folk artist. Yeah. What do you do with them? What do you do with a woman like that in music? You know, if they're not those yeah. things. And I just kept seeing my male equivalents doing much better than me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um and and I know that might sound a bit um for some people they might be like oh she's just bitter but you know literally like if you look at it in things like stream numbers and the types of gigs that you've had and the amount of people who are following you on a platform well you know just yeah, yeah. real tangible ways of measuring um an artist's quality and success and potential success it it just seemed um it just seemed really, it, it felt really frustrating. It's like there was a glass ceiling. I kept hitting my head against it. And it also felt that if I was going to get on in music, uh-huh. it would have been so much easier if I had um, made myself open to having uh, more sexualized relationships with male gatekeepers. That just, That's and I never happy. was going to do that. No. I'm you know? Sure. Yeah. So, and you shouldn't have to, but it definitely, no, no, no. I definitely kind of got this sense of like, even if people don't look at it like that as well, like if I had a boyfriend who was a manager or if I had a boyfriend who was a producer or something like that, even if it's not like just casual sex, but in some way, um, you know, having a relationship that goes beyond the professional, that's yeah. a, a much easier way, or that was at least, that's how it felt for me, especially back when I was a younger woman, much easier way for you to have a career and that the other option of just holding true to being a good quality artist who is intelligent, articulate, you know, has a a strong sense of their identity that immediately puts you at a disadvantage, actually. (laughs) So that, that really kind of got to me and it, and that kept me up at night and that was really, really frustrating. But then also, 
when I was in more of my kind of, you know, my academic context of doing the PhD and stuff, mm. I was one of five women out of 30 who were doing a PhD. I was one of two women out of 17 who did the MA um, before that. I was always, you know, maybe the one woman in the room or one or two of two women in a room or whatever. And I, you know, I could see it replicated across the industry, especially whenever something to do with technology got involved, it got even worse. And the, yeah. and also instances of things like um, pa- people patronizing you or even uh, sexually um, overstepping the boundary, it got worse when there was technology involved. Not every yeah. context, but, um, and, and there's just been multiple instances of, I'd say like I'm I'm lucky in that I'm I'm quite confident in that I've never compromised on like I was saying before I've I've known where my boundaries are and I've stuck to that but I've also been people have said awful things to me in the past you know so I've I've had multiple instances of um that so all of those experiences all together led me to really, and I and I always was very aware of sexism in the industry anyway, because growing up, even before I got into music, I, you know, very rarely saw women playing instruments on TV. I mm. very rarely saw women who were not stick thin. Um, you know, if you think back to the 90s, mm. even women that we would have thought of as alternative, like Bjork, PJ Harvey, um, Shirley Manson from Garbage, they were all incredibly thin and still really very white actually you know in kind of skin tone let's say so I knew that as well to be a woman in the industry you had to be a certain way and act a certain way and look a certain way so I was always very uh, conscious of this but after kind of I guess after also gaining the confidence of getting millions of streams across my music and getting a PhD and being published in different sound art and music journals academic journals and things like that I then became more confident to say, this is bullshit and I'm going to do something different. So that's why I then started the Female DIY Musician to try and provide resources that would help women to to bypass some of that bullshit, but also to um, just just have the tools in their hands that I know they're there already, but there's blocks there for a lot of women because of all the stuff that I talked about. So yeah. provide tools that don't just say, here, learn how to record your music, but they're, say, but they're tools that say, why have you not recorded your music yet? This could be some of the reasons. Of and I'll teach yeah. you how to use these tools, but actually let's look at some of that real internal stuff because that's what's stopping you. All the tools, all the information is out there already, but you don't need me, actually. All of that's yeah. out there already. What you maybe do need me for is to help you, is to have a space where you can learn that's non-judgmental, that you're not going to get you know, patronized at, mansplained at, but also where someone understands why you may have felt really, really unable to persevere with this stuff in the past. Yeah, that's that, that, that's all um, very insightful stuff. Um, I have to say, and, and, and I'd imagine most lads are exactly the same, completely and utterly unaware of any of this ever, ever existing. Um, as far as I was aware, that was just kind of the way the world was. When I was growing up, there was, there was 
eye jobs and there was girl jobs. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's just, I, I, I suppose it's just a, a, a more of a, a societal thing. Um, but I, I, I kind of, I kind of empathize with you in, in some way. And I, I used to work in a nursery and for the council I worked for out of a thousand employees, I was one of either two or three men out of a thousand employees. And I was the only straight one. Either one or two guys were, were, were gay. So I, 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 I do understand, I, I kind of can empathize with you um, in, in some way. Um, yeah, and but that, I think that is a good, I think for anyone listening, you know, that's a good way to frame it for them, Barry, because if, if, you, if you are listening and you are a guy thinking, oh, you know, I, I really have never even thought about this, putting yourself in that position of going in, imagine that the whole of your life, you've only ever learned music composition, music production, whatever, from women. You've only ever been in classes full of women. You've only ever seen women doing this stuff. Mm. You know, just to kind of, it's that emotional imagination, AKA empathy that helps us to kind of um, become, but yeah, make make a more inclusive music industry. So I think your example of like being in that situation of being the only man um, uh, in, in that career it is a good way of, of kind of helping people tap into what does that feel like? Because I think people on the surface can, like you said, they can just accept that it's normal, but also think, well, what's the problem? Like everyone's got the same opportunities. Anyone can go and buy a laptop and, you know, if they've got the money, anyone can go and um, do a course on this or that. But the reality is, is that if you are always the other person in the room, the person that sticks out, the person that is different, then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you're having to deal with, which is going on inside. It's sort of, it's one of those things where it's, what I was doing was a very female dominated, like obviously 99% female dominated area and everything, all the, like the day to day was what I would have categorized as very kind of female led and uh, sort of female presented sort of. Mm. So everyone's Mm. presented from a female's point of view. And I suppose where you're coming from, it was the total opposite in that everything was presented from a male's point of view, but just the kind of the, the, the very nature of the difference of uh, working environments, men are uh, and are, are just not as um, polite or thoughtful as as women tend to be. So, like, whereas I was kind of like, "Fuck's sake!" I'm kind of I'm, I'm surrounded by women here, and I'm just having to wear fucking aprons and change nappies and stuff. That was as bad as it got for me because <laughs> women women are lovely. Women are are, are nine, 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 nine times out of ten, women are always lovely and they're always like your mammy is like, oh no, Barry, you're fine, you're grand. Look, I'll make you a cup of tea. You're grand. You're, you're busy. And I'm like, oh, thanks very much. And men yeah. are more than happy to do that. Whereas on the total flip side of that, um, I can I can well imagine having come through the music kind of. Did you hear me coming through the music industry <laughs> myself? I can well imagine how it would have been totally different, totally, Mm -hmm. totally different um, on the flip side um, for you. But I think also like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Barry, but probably the reason, one of the reasons you can imagine is because maybe you also don't like some of that culture and maybe some of that culture, that kind of male dominated, like macho competitive parts of music have not served you very well at times, have made you feel uncomfortable at times. I don't know, but like, yeah. this is, I, th- I think something that's really important that I always want to highlight is that it it's not just difficult for women, 
it's it can be really difficult for certain men, you know, and quite yeah. quite a few men at different times, I think, because they don't want to have to act like they know what they're doing all the time because some idiot might, you know, make fun of them at a sound yeah. check or something. Yeah, no, you're 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 dead right. It took me a very very long time, and I'm still trying my best to to not carry on as if I know everything because I I very very quickly find out that I, that that I don't. <laughs> um, yeah. So you started the female DIY musician in 2018. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you how did you get on? What like what 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 were your your what were the biggest things that you had to overcome? I know that it was you're, you're saying that it's in essence it's like oh yeah I I can teach you how to record, but you can go and find that out, but like. Like how did you, how did you cope, and how did you did you manage to to get your message out there? Well, um, yeah, I think at the beginning it was much more general. I thought I'm just going to start a resource for women to help to help women, you know, uh, yeah, be, just generally be more independent. I guess so it was a bit more vague, um, and so for the first couple of years, I was putting out content and trying to find out what, you know, what is it that, how does this work? What do mm. I do? Um, and so I was going live every week inside the group, uh, the, the Facebook group that I have, um, which was called something different at the time. And, um, th- so this Facebook group is now called the girls Dwindling knobs podcast community. So it's the community attached to the podcast. But yeah. originally it was just the female DIY musician and it was just a kind of general vague group about being a woman in music. Um, and, but the more that I, the more I kind of got to know women through that and the more I then was kind of reflecting on my own journey, the more I realized actually probably the most key thing is having recordings of your music that you can then release and that then people can have in order to frame who you are and come back to who you are and kind of grow a connection with you. And so the blogs and radio stations and, you know, places like that have a reason to get you on to talk to you about your music. And, you know, it's it's so important to have that, that you're releasing music and that's how people are talking about you and how that story is unfolding rather than you're just randomly doing gigs all the time. So I kind of, I realized that that was probably the most important thing was that women started to be able to have recordings of their music and that they could get them without having to rely on free favours from male friends of friends or yeah. spending thousands and thousands of pounds in recording studios that they maybe didn't have and that's why they didn't have their music recorded. And that just felt like if they could if they could get those skills, that felt like that would be such a massive cha- like game changer for many, many women of varying ages, varying stages in their career, varying, you know, living in different parts of the country and the world, if they had those skills, that would make such a big difference in them actually being able to show up as a musician. Yeah. Um, so so then that that kind of really gave me much more of a focus and like, okay, I can teach that. Although at the beginning, I really didn't think I could. I still had a lot of imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, who am I to teach people? Yeah. Yeah, Who am I to teach people how to record their music? And my friends would be like, Isabel, you have a PhD in Sonic Arts. You've self-produced four (laughs) albums. What the hell? But I I was still very, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But um, And they were like, the fact that you have any of these doubts means you're perfect to teach this because you can really speak to that experience of doubting yourself. Mm. And, you know, you, you understand what those blocks are. So... Um, so then to cut a long story short, that's when I kind of made Home Recording Academy, the online course that I teach. And it takes takes people all the way through from 
identifying any mindset blocks they might have around music technology, identifying any kind of experiences that may have led them to doubt their confidence or their abilities with music technology. Um, and then training their ear in to, to think like a producer, um, building out their home home recording space so that they can get good quality recordings at home, recording just the nuts and bolts of recording in a DAW, um, editing and production tools like plugins, EQ, reverb, compression, mm-hmm. um, mixing. And then what you do once you've got a, a finished mix. So we go into things to do with mastering, but also how you start to use your recording skills to better your songwriting or ha- how you might take what you've got into a professional or a commercial studio to add elements that you can't at home, for example, depending on the kind of music you make. So yeah. so basically it takes someone all the way through to through from if they've got you know doubts and fears around music technology overcoming that all the way through to having a finished mix and then knowing what to do with that. So, um, so I then launched that in 2020 and, um, and it's just been growing ever since basically. And so I'm opening enrollment again for that in February, 2023, and that will be the fifth time I've opened enrollment for, for HRA. Um, yeah. So it's um it's been a, a really amazing journey but uh, at the beginning i was really clueless and i just learned everything from scratch um well you know obviously with the help of uh, books and courses and youtube and things like that but yeah. um i had no idea and and obviously i've had to, i i'm a, i'm a business i've started a business i've had to learn loads about marketing loads about mm-hmm. being a business you know so um yeah it's like doing another PhD all over again, basically. I, I, I can well imagine I'm in the process of setting up my own um, coaching. I suppose it's not, it, it's going to work alongside the, uh, the, 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 the music school. So I've got six tutors that, that, that work for me as well as me oh, doing wow. the stuff. And I've got, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the coaching thing and you're right. It's the, the, the guy whose podcast episode came out today actually put it brilliantly in that he was talking about getting your CDs to like fans in Australia, for example. So because of Brexit, it's not as easy as it used to be. Mm. And he was saying that the guy he manages, they've set up distribution warehouses in like, there's one in Europe, there's one in Mexico, there's one, I think there's one in Australia. But he says, as soon as you do that, you're no longer just a musician. You're an import Mm. export business. And it's getting, getting your head around that. When I started teaching, I was no longer a musician. I was a service or no longer just a musician. I was a service-based business. Yeah. And then when I took on uh, extra teachers, I was no longer just that. I was also now a manager. I was yeah. also now all these other things. And it's getting your head around um, around all that stuff. Um, thanks be to God, we do live in an era where we have the likes of YouTube and everything else. Because oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how anyone managed to do this in, <laughs> in my parents' era. No, I mean? no, what no, no idea. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to manage to do it. So you talked about um the like the sort of the main barrier for, for women seems to be um the the kind of the, the blocks and the barriers and the resistance in their mindset. For anyone out there listening, what are those kind of main mindset blocks? Because I can imagine me as someone that would overthink everything to the umpteenth degree, I would think that my men- my mental block, that's not the right word, my mindset block is completely unique to me and nobody else out there in the world thinks this but that this could be like very very common yeah yeah and i think that is that's the one of the most insidious things about these mindset blocks is it's very easy to think that you are uniquely 
flawed and yeah. you know uniquely kind of preoccupied by them but that's that's absolutely not the case and i do see the same things come up again and again and again with um my students and people in my community and i've seen it in myself as well so i think um i think that when we're talking about women specifically um then it's really important to acknowledge that kind of similarly to what i was talking about earlier that as a woman, you've probably very rarely seen any other women operating music technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have seen one or two people in your lifetime, but it probably will be one or two people unless you have just extensively worked in studios all your life. And even then, it, it will be very few people that you'll see who are you know, female doing it. So you've got to kind of, you know, if you're not listening to this as a woman, you've got to imagine that as well, that you've just never seen anyone of your gender using music technology, sitting behind the desk, sound checking you at gigs, you know, all that stuff. Um, But then you also have to remember that when women have come into contact with technology, a lot of the time um, they will have been told how to use it and what to do rather than just giving the opportunity to explore it freely. Mm. A lot of the time, if there's any, um, if you, if you show, especially as a woman, but as anyone, as any musician, but if you show any kind of gap in your knowledge, someone will swoop in to show how much they know. (laughs) And it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Barry, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that, that is, and I think that is a culture, particularly around music technology, but also certain types of instruments and music and stuff like that, that as soon as somebody shows that they don't know one thing, there's someone waiting in the wings to say, Oh, it's this thing. And you need to have this piece of equipment. Otherwise it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, and there's not a lot of space to just freely explore, and what often happens with women in particular is that they'll maybe they'll ask one question about one thing. And then because of their gender, a lot of the time people presume they don't know anything. So and, and this has been interesting for me, having kind of studied it to such a level. Mm. Um, I, there's obviously still things I don't know. You never know everything. But I know a lot of stuff now and I know a lot of the basics and a lot of quite abs- like abstract, obs- obscure stuff as well. And I've noticed how sometimes if somebody doesn't know me and I'll ask a question about something, they'll then presume I don't know anything. And it's mainly because of my gender. And that that's that's one of those things that can really chip away at you, that you then you never want to show that you have any kind of gaps in your knowledge because people then just presume, oh, well, women don't know about that stuff and I better help the, the poor love out and show her how to do it, you know? So it's, yeah. it's really hard to get that balance of being able to have a really nice open connection with someone and learn, but then mm. not be just, um, not be, not people not presume that you don't know everything or anything at all. What happens is a lot of women will then have just uh, ingested from that that they will not be as good as their male counterparts. And so if you believe that on some level, and I know there'll be women listening who'll be like, I don't think that, but I think actually a lot of us have still been given that message and that message can hang around in ways that are not particularly conscious, let's say. Because if you believe that you're just intrinsically going to be bad at this, then the minute something goes wrong when you first try something, try it out, you give up because it just confirms that you're not good at it. Yeah. 
Whereas yeah. if you believe that actually, you no, know, I'm intrinsically good at this and I'm intrinsically entitled to do this. And, you know, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do this. If you start using it and something goes wrong, you're like, okay, I'll try again. Because yeah. I know in my core, I can do this. People like me do this, you know? Yeah. So that's the biggest barrier. And so for me, most of my work is often around helping women to approach that music technology with a growth mindset. So that's a whole um, kind of a theory terminology coined by um, an educational psychologist called Carol Dweck. But it's basically, you know, how do you approach learning something so that it's about growing and not about proving that you're good to yourself or other people? Right. Okay. That's proper... <laughs> um, yeah, there, there, there's an awful lot of talk goes into. That. I suppose it's 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 all about starting it for the right reasons, yeah, um, and not necessarily wanting to just be like, yeah, basically you you've just said it all there. I don't know why I'm feeling the need to summarize. <laughs> well, for me, <laughs> like, I I find it really fascinating. I'm sure you'll find this too, Barry, because obviously you teach, and I think anyone who teaches, you get if you're a good teacher, let's say, you get fascinated by how people learn, and you get yeah. fascinated by like, how do I how do I create this key? I mean, you, you're going to unlock the door and you're going to go and you're going to do all this amazing stuff, but how do I create this key for you so mm. that you can unlock that door, you know? So, so for me, I I've learned so much, you know, about those, how, how this affects women in particular, how you go about kind of unraveling that with women. But then, yeah, so I'm kind of, Right now, I'm actually thinking of um, adding to Home Recording Academy a whole section of it, like a kind of extra section, which is all about the kind of mindset. So even incorporating things like meditations, if you have a tech issue, if it kind of blows up in your face, let's say figuratively, that you come back to meditation that helps you to kind of regroup, not give up, believe in yourself, unwire those narratives that you're just naturally bad at this you know so like really approaching it in a very different way than you would ever find in most music tech courses because there's a they've been out there for ages (laughs) and and this is the thing about um equality diversion inclusion um if you really want to create equality and change, you have to include people and to include people. It's not just about saying, come and take this course. It's about when you arrive at this course, what types of support or what types of changes may you need so that you have the, you have just as good results as the other person that has a different life experience. So with, with this course with home recording Academy, we go through all of the stuff to do with, you know, the real technical recording but there's a lot of time that I spend trying to help people with the with these mindset blocks, which are not their fault at all. Um, but nevertheless, I, w- I would say 99.9% of the time are there in some shape or form for for women. Yeah, that that, that that's amazing that you're doing that. It's uh, a much more like a holistic approach, um, yeah. building resilience and all that. I, I I really hope that anyone listening today has gotten a lot of um, value in what, what you've been saying. I know I have. Um, maybe go back to something a little bit lighter. Where are some of the kind of more, where, where's, where are some of the best places that you've played? What was your gig in life like, actually? Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think of best places. 
So I was never like a musician that was going off on tour all the time or anything like that. I, I mean, I never had, you know, that kind of financial backing or yeah. um, anything like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I really loved, um, I remember one year I played at Glastonbury's acoustic stage. So it was one of the main stages and that was really Class. wonderful. Yeah. So that was really good. Was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of venues, like I don't want to forget a venue that's really, I mean, one venue that's really special to me, there's two venues in Belfast that are really special to me. So one is the Black Box, um, which is I've where, yeah, and that's had loads of great bands play there. Mm. And they've just, they're a really important part of the music scene. Um, and they've re they're really supportive of the music scene. But also, I, I love venues that are black boxes. <laughs> you know, I just think they're so versatile. It means that you can do really creative stuff in them. So um, I really love the black box. And then also in Belfast, there's a bookshop called No Alibis, which is run by Dave and Claudia. And they have some amazing musicians that come through and poets. And, you know, and it is this tiny bookshop, but they just have these wonderful gigs that they put on there. Um, yeah so those are two lovely belfast venues okay very good um i've never actually been to belfast believe it or not i'm from, oh, I'm from the republic go. of ireland yeah I've, I've i've heard my brother used to live in belfast my brother used to work for a company in belfast that does work for like spotify and youtube and he does artificial intelligence for music videos and stuff oh, so wow. he you and him would get on like a house on mm. fire talking about all those like algorithms and yeah physics and all that kind of yeah. crap but uh, yeah Belfast is definitely on my to-do list okay so before we um start to finish up here now and head into a quick fire round what is it uh, is there anything that you're working on now yeah so um I've actually got a new workshop that's going to be coming out um it's live actually so that's happening on Wednesday the 7th of December and it's called three time hacks to make your music actually happen in 2023 so it's for women um and it's just basically all about how to prioritize your music so that it's not left to the bottom of your to-do list all the time um so you know whether you have small children or you have a busy job or you're juggling multiple jobs um I know that this can be one of the hardest things for musicians so I'm doing a whole two-hour live workshop that has some incredible bonuses as well and so you can go and check that out on um, femalediymusician.com forward slash time hacks and i will yeah. send you the link barry so you can put it in the show notes i certainly will be doing that that sounds amazing i'd nearly hop on to that myself if you'd have me <laughs> um I'm, I, I'm a devil for making a system for a system for a system for a problem yeah. that didn't even exist to begin with so i've wasted two hours and a full afternoon and 10 cups of coffee on systems for problems that weren't even there to begin with but anyway so uh, yeah cool that sounds absolutely amazing um i'm i'm gonna wish you the best of luck so for anybody listening to this on the day that comes out, which is Friday the 2nd of December 2022, that's this Wednesday coming, lads. So make sure you get ladies, lads and ladies, I should say, apologies. Being from uh, County Offaly means that everybody <laughs> is referred to as lad. Yeah. So apologies, apologies there. I've called me ma, lad, before. I called me wife, lad. So it's just that, that's just uh, an, a, an unfortunate side effect of, of being from the Midlands in Ireland. But um, get, make sure you get registered for that um, ASAP. I would imagine uh, it's going to be very, very popular. So let's hop into a quick fire round. So Isabel, these are just usually stupid questions that have no bearing on anything at all. They're just for a bit of crack. Starting off, going to put you under pressure here now. What is your job title in three words or less? Um, 
And oh. you can't say female DIY musician. No. Oh God, what is my job title? Can I just say three words? Like musician, educator, yeah. musician, educator, artist. I did that one time in a job interview and I was like, music, sound, Barry. <laughs> and they were the three words I, <laughs> they were the three words I used to describe myself. And they were like, right, fair enough. It's like, hi, Barry. And I was just like, everyone needs a Barry. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that 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 that's good. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna amend that question to describe yourself in three words or less because I think that's a bit yeah. more correct. Do you prefer summer or winter? Ooh, these days summer. Summer, yeah. Well, I I, I think you, you, there has to be something intrinsically wrong with you if you don't prefer <laughs> summer. To be perfectly honest, but um, I wasn't going to say that if you chose winter. <laughs> I do love winter. I do love the fact that you have to sort of cozy up and you can eat comfort food because that's just what you crave. But mm. yeah, I I do love the summer now. Yeah, very much. there's a lot to be said for both, but summer yeah. is I I would have always said was the right answer there. But anyway, yeah. what is your favorite word? <sighs> Oh, that's a hard one. Mm. Uh, this one I always think tells an awful lot about the person. God, I don't know. Favorite word? Um, I really don't know. Don't know. No, no idea. Favorite what's word? Your, what? What's your favorite sounding word? <sighs> God, my mind is blank. Sa- no? Favorite sounding word. The reason I ask that is because sometimes I get I, I I ask this question and people come out with like a mental word. Someone said, um, "Oh, I can't think of who it was said it," but they said serendipity, and I was like, "That is That's just wonderful." Yeah, it just bounces off your ears, like do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm very connected to words. <laughs> okay, <laughs> clearly I'm not. The, clearly, the, I'm the not. dyslexia probably doesn't help. Yeah, them, probably fairly, not. Like. So it's probably a little bit of an insensitive yeah. question, so I do, I do apologize. Um, no, I mean, it's a good question because I'd never thought, what is my most favorite word? But yeah. Okay, well, fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, oh, do you know what? Do no, you... I've, I've got one. I've got one for you, oh, Mary. Ooze. I like the word ooze. Ooze. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Onomatopoeia. It yeah. sounds like what it does. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee, fair play to you. It depends, but hang, it does depend. If I'm eating any cake, then it's got to be tea. Okay. If I'm having it with enough. a scone or if I'm having it with cake, it's got to be tea. If it's just on its own, it's coffee. Okay, right. I wasn't yeah. aware that that was going to come with like conditions, mm-hmm. but I really yeah. think that I should clarify that. Because <laughs> that's like, like again, that's 100% correct. I didn't realize that that was, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I would have always said, I would have just said coffee. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like, yeah. no, you're, you're, you're okay. Right. Well done. But there's, there's another little kind of detail as well. If it's a, if it's a very chocolatey rich thing, it has to be with coffee as well. So if it's a chocolate fudge cake, it has to be with coffee. I wouldn't have that with tea. It'd be a waste with tea. Wow. Okay. But if it's a scone, it has to be with tea. Right. Fair enough. You've definitely made up for the, the lack of a favorite word there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm good with that. Um, yeah. Love it. Um, if you could be like a, a Disney character, so Disney Disney is an umbrella term for cartoons. Okay, Who would you be? okay, okay. Oh, a Disney character. Um, oh my god, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm thinking that um, I can tell you my favorite Disney movie, and that maybe that will help me get there. But Robin Hood. 
Oh, you're the second one to say that with the fox. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. I had this exact conversation with the last guy and I've never, I never saw it until I was like 20 and it was yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and I think if I had to be a character in that film, it would be the Sheriff of Nottingham because I think it'd be a lot of fun because he's such a dick. Yes, yeah, so he is. So I could just walk he, around he, being a dick to everyone. And he loves how much of a dick that he is as well. It's fantastic. <laughs> and he sings about being a dick. So he does. I, I would he love is. that. I would love yeah. to play that character. Yeah. Love it. That's that. Uh, brilliant. I love it. Cool. <laughs> um, right. If money was no object, what car would you drive? Oh, God. I mean, again, I, I have no interest in, in any oh, cars. Not. But no, I don't, I don't own a car. And oh, I never have done. No, I never have done. So I, I just, what car would oh, I Oh, that drive? is a very poor choice of question. <laughs> I mean, what would it be? I mean, like, I think I'd just go for something really, I don't even know, like a, just a functional small car. A red one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but not a red one. <laughs> not a red one. A, a, no. a blue one, then a green one, a white um, one. A grey one. A very functional, a small grey car. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, right, we'll go one more then. This is a new one. I've never asked anyone this one, right? So what is the first thing you notice about someone when you meet them? So you've met someone for the first time. What's the first thing you notice? I mean, I don't know if it's always the first thing, but one thing I do notice is their voice. Okay. So I, I would find it really hard to date someone who didn't have a good voice, for example. Like oh, if, if uh, they had a voice that in any way slightly niggled me, that would be a big no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, you're lovely, yeah. but I just can't listen to you. <laughs> yeah. I so, just, like, is that, I, th I think is it's it, part of the whole kind of, I don't know, like singer, musician, my ear just couldn't take it. I'd just be like, it's fine if they're a friend, fine. But if I have to spend a lot of time with someone and even find them sexually attractive, if they don't okay. have, it, it's not like they have to have a ridiculous voice, you know, like the best voice in the world, but they have to have a, a decent voice. Okay. One that's not annoying and one that's not weird. So what, what constitutes an annoying voice then? Um, well, I remember, uh, I remember one voice that I heard and it was, I don't know, it just, they sounded like they were a cartoon and I think it was because they had quite a high pitch, but also there was a slight kind of raspiness in it. Okay, um, but it bad. could also be, you know, it could be that they're very nasal or it could be that, um, yeah, it could be something like that. Or it could be that they, are pausing too much as well. So it could be about the the pace as well. Okay. It could be anything. It could be anything. It's basically like, you know, if you think about how you find someone physically attractive and there's so many variables in that, yeah. it's like that. Okay. Fair enough. So it's not, not it's not anything to do with like the accent or anything like that. No, not at all. Is there any particular accents that you don't like? No. No, that's no. a very political. That's a very political answer. <laughs> no, not at all. No, well, I, I mean... love all accents equally. <laughs> I honestly don't have any. You know, I know that like there are some accents that people think of as being unattractive, like Birmingham or whatever. Yeah. But no, I mean, I... have you ever seen Peaky Blinders? Well, uh, exactly. Like, even know. I fancy Killian Murphy listening to him <laughs> yeah. talking like that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. no, there's there's no accent that I would rule out at all. No. Okay. 
Very well. That, that that's it's very accommodating of you. I I for one have loads of accents that I cannot be dealing with, but I'm not going to really. It. Yeah, because <laughs> anyone in Liverpool will just turn off. But um, yeah. anyway, so. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, listen, Isabel. Let's um let's leave that there before we uh, finish up. Where can people find you? Where can people get in touch with you? So the best place to go to just find out all the stuff that I do is um, femalediymusician.com. And then you can also find me on Instagram on the handle at femdiymusician. And um, also you can tune into Girls Twiddling Knobs by just searching Girls Twiddling Knobs wherever you listen to podcasts. Fantastic. And what, I, I, I believe you do that in seasons, don't you? Yeah. So season four is dropping on November the 24th. So um, that will be out, be going out. So if you're listening to this podcast live, go and check out Girls Twiddling Knobs because there's a whole bunch of new episodes going out. Fantastic. Good stuff. Yeah. Cool, Isabel. Let's uh, leave it there. Thank you very, very much for um, joining me today. And I really appreciate it. That was the Music Career Show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.